today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, let's bring in uh, Christine Van Gein of, uh, of course, uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Out with a uh, Auditor General's naughty list is Ford's to-do list. Christine is with us now. Christine, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me on. Uh, before we start with this, Ontario Fiscal Watchdog says provincial deficit to rise to $12.3 billion this fiscal year. Any surprises here from uh, the Financial Accountability Officer, Peter Weltman? Well, the report today does differ from what the provincial government had said they expected the deficit to be, so there is a little bit of a discrepancy. Um, the FAO, the Financial Accountability Officer, explained that discrepancy by saying that the the reason he thinks the, the deficit is going to be the way it is is because of um, the government's plan to eliminate uh, the cap-and-trade carbon tax, so that's reduced revenue, and because of uh, a slowing economy, which is reducing revenue in general. So um, that's the reason he thinks that the de- deficit is going to be $15.1 billion, um, an increase of $2.8 billion from last year. Uh, many in opposition uh, who are upset with the PCs for cancelling cap-and-trade are now uh, jumping on this. Look how much it's going to cost. Uh, because the costs of eliminating cap-and-trade are as they are or as they were, uh, does that mean we should have kept it? Well, you know, I, I, I've told you this before. I hate talking about ca- cancelling cap-and-trade as a cost. It's really not a cost. It's a savings to taxpayers. So it's eliminating a tax increase. So, yeah, it's less money for the government, but it's more money for you and I um, who no longer have to pay that $0.3 cents a litre um, in carbon tax when we fill up our cars. We don't have to pay it in the winter to keep our homes warm. Uh, so it's really a good thing that the tax was eliminated, and it's an even better thing that the premier is fighting the federal government on that tax. But that said, you know, a $15.1 billion deficit is a serious matter. Uh, the FAO does say that this deficit could be eliminated within four years if the government um, limits growth in total spending by one uh, to 1.2% per year. So uh, if we slow down program spending growth, we could actually achieve a balanced budget um and still not have that that new tax hanging over our heads. And luckily, we have the Auditor General's report from last week that gives us a whole laundry list of areas where we could reduce spending. So I think that should be, um, you know, Premier Ford should just pick up that report and treat it as a to-do list and go through it and see where he can save some, find some savings. So the cost of not having cap-and-trade isn't worth keeping it? Absolutely. It's not It's not worth asking people to pay more for the necessities of life, like driving their kids to school, commuting to work, or heating their home in the winter. It's it's a terrible tax, and it, it's, it's regressive, and it was good to have eliminated it. That being said, obviously uh, less revenue coming in for the government now. Does that mean this is uh, open season for the PCs and cutting things? It's odd. It seems we in, we vote in a Liberal government who spends all our money, then we complain that they've spent all their money, then we bring a PC government in to cut it all back, they cut it all back, then we complain of that and bring, them, bring the Liberals back in. It's like it, it literally is like watching the pendulum swing back and forth. Am I the only one to have that, uh, that analogy? I mean, I don't think there's any government that does everything right. 
Um, Good point. (laughs) I certainly think the last government did a lot wrong. um, And I think that the current government is is not going to be perfect either. Um, But we do have this list from the Auditor General of areas where when we talk about cuts, you know, people get their back up and they say, hey, don't, you know, don't cut my teachers. My kids need them. Um, don't eliminate nurses. My, my mom was in the hospital last year. Um, you don't, you don't want to see cuts. But the Auditor General has this, this list of essentially waste. So um, one of the things that um, the Auditor General found was that the cost of that so-called free tuition um, that the Wynn government brought in last year and of course, it's not free. It's funded by taxes, um, but it's costing fifty percent more than the government had projected. It's now, hang on a sec. Two this, billion a year. How is this? Because at the end of the day, what they said they were doing was just uh, compiling and putting together a whole pile of other uh, programs and, and eliminating them to create this one. Yeah, because the auditor general found that's not what actually ended up happening. The vast majority of um, what were previously loans under the OSAP program have been converted into grants. And it, I think it was something like 95% of the pay, the payments issued under OSAP are now grants. So they're not repayable at all. And what the Auditor General found was that the, a large number of people who had previously been eligible for loans are now receiving grants. So that means, really, if you had a loan before and you were repaying it and going to school, you maybe necessarily didn't need a grant because you were going to school and you were repaying your loan. The grant program was supposed to be only for low-income students. And the Auditor General found that there's very little evidence that the money's actually helping just low-income students. There's um, not enough care being taken to make sure that only eligible recipients are receiving grants. I mean, it's, it's it's obvious that they're not, since it's about ninety-five percent receiving grants. How can how can the government how can governments write checks like this and not do the due diligence and not make sure the money is going to where it's supposed to be going? Well, I think in the case of the previous government who had started this program, um, there was a lot more concern with the optics of of giving students what they wanted and giving something away, in their words, for free because this was a policy that was enacted just before a new election um and the cynic in me says it was in order to buy those votes from those people who if you if you give money away for free hey i'm gonna like you if you give me free money um and i think that that was what their goal was with with this policy and how much of this money was spent as the election was drawing closer as they were it was evident they were going out the door because that's what it seemed to be i mean the last six months of this campaign this campaign was just promise after promise after promise with no real um i i guess thought to how you're gonna you're gonna make the payments well, it looks like the program ended up costing about $650 million more than they said it was going to. And if we keep going with the program the way it is, and this is a new program, remember, it was only started in the last year and a half, I believe. Um, and if we keep going with this, it's going to start costing about $2 billion a year. Um, so I think it's really worth considering, the government considering how to revisit this program, how to make sure that grants are only going to low-income students, people who can't otherwise go to university, because, of course, it's a good goal to get people um, training to get jobs and and, um, send them to college and university. I think that that is a good goal for government to have. 
but they need to do it in a responsible way that makes sure if you're not asking these people to repay these loans, it's because they don't have the the means to repay them. You don't want to be giving grants to people who could otherwise be paying their own way. How does a government position this when we can't afford to be uh, paying for these programs? How does the, the government position it uh, to be responsible as opposed to all these guys do is cut things. All they do is cut things. They just keep cutting things. They're going to cut more and cut more. So I think the way they need to position it is to make sh- to talk about ensuring that people who need the help are getting it and people who don't need the help are not are not getting help. So they made changes, the government made changes, um, if you'll remember, to the old, um, the, the free drug plan for, for children. Right. Uh, this was one of the things they, they changed immediately upon forming government. They mm-hmm. said, hey, you know what? This drug program is giving free medication to all children in Ontario. It doesn't matter if they are already receiving um, medication that's paid for through their parents' employer. If, yeah. those, are, if those people have insurance benefits, they, that should be the first payer. It shouldn't be the taxpayers, the first payer. And so they said, if you were, if you, they changed the program to say, we're only going to help the people who don't, uh, who, who need it. We're not going to help the people who, who don't need it. And I don't think that there was a big backlash to, to that approach. It, it seemed, it seemed to most people, uh, to be a sensible approach. Uh, Ontario Works, uh, there was a lot of chatter of the, uh, uh, in regard to that. Uh, obviously, the OSAP um, uh, part of that as well. But this was a, this was a signature piece of the last government's uh, platform. What do we know about the extent of, of, of the debt here and, and the money going to where it, it is needed to be? Yeah, so Ontario Works is um, what we call the, the welfare system in Ontario that helps um, provides money to people who are out, are out of work and have low incomes. So um, this is something that, like OSAP, the government wasn't tracking to make sure that only eligible people are on the, this benefit, and they aren't making sure that the costs are maintained under control. So OSAP, the cost increased by 50%. Um, in the case of Ontario Works, that cost increased by 55% since 2009, and the program's now costing $3 billion a year. What's worse about it than the cost is that the program doesn't seem to be working. The number of people staying on the program has doubled since 2009. The number of people staying on the program for longer has increased. So now people are staying on welfare for nearly three years, and one in five people are staying on welfare for five years or more. Um, most people aren't, um, aren't making their way off of welfare into full-time employment. Um, people who found employment were about 10 to 13% of, of welfare recipients found full-time employment. So the program is extremely expensive and it isn't working. And the government has already undertaken started a review of the Ontario Works program and they're going to be making some changes. So I think um, one of the things they need to start doing more of is investigation of fraud tips. Um, the government's about a year behind on their fraud investigation. Um, and we know that fraud investigations into welfare fraud result in a lot of benefits being canceled for people who aren't eligible for those benefits. And um, it actually results in about 10% of recipients losing their benefits because they aren't entitled to them. 
So um, there need to be a lot of changes made to this program that could could save us money. But again, it's a political issue to touch these benefits. The government needs to make sure that what the way they position this is to say, we're going to provide better help to the people who need it, and we're going to save taxpayers money by not providing a benefit to people who don't deserve it. Uh, as you mentioned uh, in your piece here, Auditor General's naughty list is Ford's to-do list. Um, usually when the Auditor General releases a report, the government's go into hiding because they know it's not going to be good news. This obviously good news for the PCs because it was uh, uh, reflective of the, the, the past government. How long can the current government blame the last government for what's going on? Well, you know, every government always blames the last government, Mm -hmm. and they do it for a long time. I remember watching Question Period back before the last election last fall, and um, Premier Wynne was still talking about things that Mike Harris had done. Yeah, really? (laughs) (laughs) Really? So that government had been in power for over a decade, and they're still talking about the guys before. So... You know, I think the Ford government's doing a lot of stuff right right now by re-examining a lo- uh, all of these programs. But I know, I know how governments work, and they're still going to be saying, even if they win a second mandate, they're still going to be trying to blame stuff on the win liberals. Um, and and really, they're they're going to be responsible going forward. They have this report this time. They can say all of this stuff. This was the win government. This time, it's true. But going forward, they're responsible for the solution. How do they balance that with looking, not looking like the party that just doesn't care about anybody and, and, and just has to make up for the other's mistakes? Um, I think because, as I've said, you need to talk about it in a compassionate way. You need to say, we want to help the people who um, who need help. We want to make sure that these programs are run well and they're run in a sustainable way. But um, the, the right approach is to make sure our, our tax dollars are being spent more efficiently and more effectively. The right approach isn't to continually look for new ways of taxing people in this province who can't afford it. Um, things like the last the carbon tax that we've just had canceled that made, made it more expensive to, to do the basic necessities of life. So the government needs to focus on making life affordable for everyone um, through finding efficiencies in these programs and continuing to reduce cost burdens on everybody else. We've seen over the weekend, and I know that, you know, uh, apples and oranges perhaps, um, but we've seen over the weekend what's happened in Paris and, and riots in regard to uh, increasing costs of fuel and such. Do you see that happening in North America? Um, I certainly hope not. Um, I understand the anger in France over um, a government that seems disinterested in, in th- how. Uh, increasing costs on fuel and, and home heating is devastating to the working class in that country. People died in those riots. Like, I don't want to see that happening in Canada. Um, I think a better result than, than v- violence is to write to your MP, go to some of the, um, the rallies that take place across this country about, um, carbon taxes, write to your MP, call them, um, and, and make sure that they know how you feel without hurting anybody. Is this a shift in the green movement? Is this a shift that, um, you know, people, people want more thought and, 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 and uh, concern put into to, 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 to their efforts than, than necessarily the rest of the world? Is this, is this a shift in, in the green movement, in the environmental movement? 
You know, it's funny you, you say that. I actually just tweeted an article from Politico uh, called Why Greens Are Turning Away from a Carbon Tax, and it examines that exact issue. Um, this was Carbon taxes used to be something that people on the left and the right advocated for. Um, it's increasingly unpopular um, because of the costs associated with carbon taxes. Um, places that are hardcore left, like Washington State, um, have failed to bring in a carbon tax, um, even though they have what's considered one of the most progressive governments in the United States. There are fewer and fewer uh, Democrats in the United States who are continuing to push for a carbon tax. The Macron government in France is backing off of their proposed carbon tax because of the riots in France. And I really do think that there's a shift away from carbon taxes and that it's a policy that has come to an end uh, as something that ad- politicians advocate for. So how does that change the discussion on the environment moving forward? I mean, we're all concerned about passing a, a healthy planet to the next generation. What now? I think that there are all kinds of alternatives to a carbon tax, um, better pollution rules related to pollution uh, can help. And innovation, human innovation has has no bounds. And we're always going to continue to come up with ways of doing things that are more efficient, um, lower energy and lower cost. And I think that that is encouraging technological innovation is a better approach than top-down regulating and taxing people punitively. Do you think people are looking for more information, more answers, more option before heading down these these roads? Before heading down the carbon tax yeah. route, mm-hmm. certainly, certainly. I think that it's a it's be it's demonstrated itself to be something that's in some countries violently unpopular. It's something that Trudeau is facing um, declining poll numbers over. And that his opponents in in provinces like Ontario, Doug Ford in Ontario, uh, I suppose soon to be Jason Kenney in Alberta, and uh, Premier Mo in Saskatchewan, these are all things that are helping them with political uh, score political points with with their own constituencies because they're seen as the people who are who are standing up for hardworking Ontarians who want to pay less or hardworking Canadians who want to pay less for the necessities of life. It used to be if you were questioning any of this. Uh, even a fuel increase or a tax increase that you are lambasted. Is that is that attitude changing? I think it has changed. I think that there used to be a lot of um, ideolo- ideology surrounding carbon taxes, and there was a lot of dogma, and you couldn't challenge this thinking without being seen as some kind of climate change denier. I don't have any ounce of climate change denial in me. I, you know, I accept science as science is presented uh, in the mainstream, uh, and I, I'm not a scientist. I have to accept that this is something that is reality. Mm-hmm. But I also, I'm a taxpayer, and I have to accept that, and if you pay taxes in this country, if you live in this country, you know that we can't get around without driving. We don't have a functional transit system across Ontario and, and not even within the metropolitan city of Toronto. And um, we're a large country with, with spaced-out communities, and we're a cold climate. The reality is that imposing a carbon tax in those conditions is punitive to the people who can afford it the least. Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Christine Van Gein, has been with us. And uh, thank you so much for your time. As always, Christine, much appreciated. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.